Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church of Savannah, Georgia. You're listening to the series, Bless the Lord, a study on the book of Psalms. For more information about CBC, please visit www.cbcofsavannah.org. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from God's Word. Jesus, you are all we have. Life itself is found in you. And so we come to you again this morning. We come to you needing satisfaction and contentment that only you can provide. And Lord, I just, I confess that I have regularly searched for this satisfaction and contentment elsewhere. Forgive me. And Lord, that is the topic of this sermon, and so I'm, I'm totally unfit to preach on it. I'm weak. We, we need you. I need your power to speak, and, and we need your power to allow us to hear from you. We do not want to come here to just hear somebody talk. We want a supernatural exchange to happen between you and your people And so I pray that you would build us up this morning, God. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would help us to find contentment in you. Thank you that you're eager to do that. I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit. Amen. You guys can have a seat. We are going to be back in the book of Psalms this morning as we continue our series called Bless the Lord. So you can flip that way. If you're new to the Bible, right in the middle of the Bible. If you guys had to pick a theme song for our culture, what would you pick? If you had to look at the attitudes and the pursuits of our culture and pick a song that could be the theme for 21st century Americans, what song would you pick? Thought about this song this week, and here's what I came up with. I went all the way back to 1965. Rolling Stone's first number one hit in the U.S., a song that in 2000, VH1 voted as the best rock and roll song of all time, a song that in 2004, Rolling Stone magazine said was the second best song ever written, a song that over the last 50 years, band after band after band has covered, and a song that if we put on the loudspeakers this morning, we could all sing along, even though you wouldn't want that because I'm mic'd up. Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones, a theme for our culture that is constantly searching, but never satisfied. Now, whether or not this is the best song of all time, or whether or not it's even a good theme for our culture is up for debate. But what's not up for debate is how deeply the words of that song resonate with millions and millions and millions of people, and how deeply they may even resonate with some of us. I try, and I try, and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. 
Today we come to the book of Psalms, and we have been essentially studying the songs of Israel, the songs that they would use to corporately worship God. And we come to the psalm today that would be number one on the psalm billboard charts, Psalm 23, a psalm that stands in stark contrast to Satisfied by the Rolling Stones. And the reason that Psalm 23 so contrasts Satisfied by the Rolling Stones is because it's a song all about contentment. It's all about finding satisfaction. And so if Satisfied could be the theme song for our culture, perhaps Psalm 23 could be a theme song for the people of God. Now, as you guys walked into the room this morning, in a figurative sense, each of us are all singing one of these two songs. We're either singing along with the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction, maybe you've been looking this week for satisfaction in things other than God and come up empty, or some of you may be singing along with David. My hope is that after our time today, we would all be singing the song of the satisfied. We'd all be singing along with David. So I want to come to Psalm 23, and I want to look at why we can actually be content in God. So I'll read the the text in its entirety, and before I do, let me remind you guys what an honor to have the Word of God in your lap. What an honor to get to sit under the Word of God. There are two billion people on planet Earth who have zero access to God's revelation through the Word. So for us to be able to come to God by His Word is grace Grace from him to us. So let's hear it as that. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So right up front, we see that David, Israel's great king, is the author of this psalm. And in this psalm, what he does is he gives us two different metaphors, one in verses 1 through 4, and the second in verses 5 and 6, two metaphors that reveal to us a little bit about his relationship with God, which is essentially his source of contentment. And the first metaphor we dive into right from the get-go In verse 1, David says, when he considers his relationship with the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm like his sheep. Yahweh, the maker and ruler of the entire universe, the almighty, all-powerful one, the covenant God of Israel, He is like my shepherd. 
Not just Israel's shepherd, not just our shepherd, plural. He's like my shepherd. And I'm like his sheep. Now, when you think about this, this is a little bit unusual for the king of Israel. Okay, We're talking about one of the most powerful men on planet Earth at the time. But we, when he considers relationship with God, he was saying, I'm a humble, needy, dependent, defenseless animal. And God is like my shepherd. And it's not like David didn't know what he was talking about, right? David grew up as a shepherd, so, so he understands the metaphor well. While his older brothers were training and fighting and doing these brave, heroic, heroic things, David was in the field with dad's sheep, protecting the sheep, leading the sheep, guiding the sheep, caring for the sheep. See, he knew all about sheep and he knew all about shepherds. And he knew that shepherds were a lot more than just kind of the Rejects who couldn't get a better play in the Christmas pageant. Um, that's kind of funny. You can laugh. <laughs> we must have a lot of shepherds in the room. I'm sorry if you were a shepherd. Um, I'm kidding. Don't take that personally. David knew that shepherds were a rough and tough group, right? He knew they carried around, carried around clubs to beat off any, any animals that would attack the sheep. He knew they carried around these staves that would, that would corral the sheep that tried to run off. He knew that shepherds were up at all hours of the night caring for the sheep, defending the sheep. David knew all about what he was saying. And when he looked at his relationship with God, he said, this is what it's like. I'm like a stubborn sheep. He's like a shepherd. And the theme of the song is clear right from the get-go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Want. Now, David's communicating a couple of things here. First is this. Under God's care, all his needs were taken care of. He lacked nothing. So that's kind of right up front. But there, there's more to it than that. What David is equally saying is, under the care of God the shepherd, I'm utterly content. I'm satisfied. There's nothing left for me. Matthew Henry says it this way, great commentator of the 1700s. More is implied than is expressed. Not only I shall not want, but I shall be supplied with whatever I need. And if I have not everything I desire, I may conclude it's either not fit for me or not good for me, or I shall have it in due time. The theme of David's song is utter contentment in God. Because he understood his relationship with God the shepherd, he could sing this song of satisfaction. And for us this morning, you guys, as we're on this pursuit for contentment, contentment starts at the same place. We can be content only because we are under the care of God the shepherd. We're under the care of God the shepherd. Now, let, let me hit pause real quick and speak to you here. If, if you're visiting this morning or you're, you're at church and you're not a Christian, at, at this point in your life, you cannot say that God is your shepherd. So what we're about to talk about is not yet applied to you. You are not under the guiding, comforting, protective care and leadership of God the shepherd. The only way to come under his care is through Christ. We'll talk about that. Um, but this applies specifically to those who have a relationship with God through Christ. And, and this is why we can be content. Now, 
you guys know you don't have to look far to see that our culture is on a search for satisfaction. In fact, if we're real, a lot of us are on a search for satisfaction. Moving from one thing to the next, trying to latch on to something that we hope will satisfy. The next big star, the next big event, the next big party, the next hot item, the next car, the next house, the next job, the next business deal, the next relationship, the next marriage. We move from one thing to the next like stubborn sheep thinking the next thing will outperform the previous one, even though it never really has. But if you're like me, sometimes that that doesn't even stop you. See, most of us are constantly striving but rarely content. Always busy on the inside, but never at rest. It's very different than the words that David's singing in this song. Look with me at at verse 2 and 3. David says of God, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, I'll confess to you up front, don't know a whole lot about sheep and shepherds. Everything I know about them, I've read and learned in the last week or two. Um, But here's the idea. A good shepherd will always lead his sheep to rich, lush pastures where they can eat, and he will lead his sheep to clean, still waters where they can drink. But but David's saying even more than that. Not only is he, as a, a, a member of God's flock, provided for, but he has been so provided for that he can lay down in the middle of abundant provisions and rest. His soul is no longer striving. It is no longer clamoring. It is at peace. David is saying that under God's care, under the care of the perfect shepherd, he can be refreshed and he can be renewed. Same is true for us. There is contentment under God's care because God provides rest. He provides rest. Now, I'm not just talking about physical rest. I'm talking about rest for the soul. I'm talking about refreshment and restoration and renewal that happens in kind of your inner being. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you had to get honest with yourself this morning and kind of engage with your heart, what's the condition of your soul? Is there rest within this morning? Is there peace that comes from being a part of God's flock? Can you, can you put your head on the pillow at night content that you are under the perfect care of God the shepherd? Or, or is there busyness within? Is there striving within? Is there a search for satisfaction and contentment that, that keeps coming up empty time and time again? Who, who are you singing along with this morning? Are you singing along with the Rolling Stones or are you singing along with David? Friend, we we can be content under God's care because under God's care, there's rest. But there are many more reasons for contentment. Let's keep going. Second half of verse 3. David says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he continues with the sheep metaphor here. And and essentially what, what David's getting at is this. During certain times of the year, especially summertime, fields will become less plentiful. They would become less lush, less healthy. And so a good shepherd would lead his sheep often up to higher ground to provide better food for the sheep. Now here's the problem. 
oftentimes the path up to those higher grounds were treacherous. They were rocky, they were steep, they were difficult. The shepherd was leading the sheep up there for the good of the sheep, but sometimes the way there was tough. And so what David is saying is that God, the perfect shepherd, everywhere he leads his flock, he is leading them there for their good, even though it may be difficult. Now, some of you this morning may object to that. If you're real with yourself, you're thinking, Cain, dude, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through. How, how could God lead me to this place for my good? How could you really say that? But before we begin to answer this question, let, let me just gently remind you of our author. Okay, David was writing this song during his adult life. The commentators don't know exactly when, but all would say it was during an intense time of struggle. And David's saying that, man, whether I was fighting a giant or hiding in a cave or fleeing from my own son who wanted to kill me, everywhere I went, God led me there in his good grace for my good. Even in the toughest times, even the windiest, rockiest, scariest paths, God was guiding me to shape me and to conform me and to make me more and more into what he wanted me to be. No matter how tough times got, David knew that God was leading him. This is the next reason we can find contentment under God's care. He provides leadership. He provides leadership. It's easy for us to kind of buy into this idea that if if circumstances were only different, I'd be happy. If I could get out of this job and into this job, man, everything would be okay. If, If I wasn't married to this person, things would be better. If we could just get into that neighborhood, if I could get my kids to that school, everything would be okay. If if Chick-fil-A were open on Sunday, everything would be all right. <laughs> that actually might make things better. Um, <laughs> if only my circumstances were different, I'd be happy. I'd be satisfied. It's a classic case of the gla- grass is always greener in the other pasture. That's a sheep joke. Yeah. It, it, was, it was a bad joke. Sorry, that, forgive me. Um, here's, here's the point. Let's move back. God has led you to where you are, my friend, with a specific purpose in mind. And, and the text tells us what that purpose is. He has led you to the place that you are right now for your righteousness, and he has done it for his namesake. For your righteousness and for his namesake. Now let me explain. When the Bible uses this term righteousness, it uses it in a couple of different ways. Um, First, we talk about positional righteousness, and the fancy term for that is justification. And the idea with positional righteousness is that the moment you and I put our faith in Jesus, when we trust his death on our behalf, his resurrection on our behalf, we are counted righteous by God instantaneously. All the righteousness from Jesus is credited to our account, and God views us now as righteous. Okay? But what we are in position, we are not there practically. So even though right now I am totally righteous before God, there's all kinds of junk still going on in my life. I need to be made more practically righteous, which is what David's talking about here. And what David says is that God sovereignly orchestrates all the events of our lives 
to make us more and more like Jesus. That, that he uses struggles and trials and joys and pleasures and successes and failures. He uses life's circumstance to conform us more and more into what he wants us to be. And so David is saying that even when the path is tough, God is leading me for my righteousness. This is, this is sometimes hard for us to take. This is something that our flesh wants to fight. And, and friend, my flesh wants to fight this. But, but I know it's true, and I know it's best for me. And so I, I've told you all this before, but I keep a quote on my desk by Charles Spurgeon that I, remember, that I read every day. And it says this. Remember this. Had any condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. Remember this. Had any condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. God is not concerned about making us happy in our circumstances. He is concerned with making us more and more like his son, which is the best thing he can do for us. And notice the reason why he does it. He does it for his namesake. Interesting, isn't it? He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What's that all about? Well, as a good shepherd, he cares about his reputation as a shepherd. And if God has disorderly, unruly, stubborn sheep who are wandering off, it reflects poorly upon him. And so he is committed to our righteousness because it points people back to his, his identity as the perfect shepherd. Now, I know this is hard to stomach, you guys, that he leads us in these paths for his namesake, for our good. But let me ask you a question. Isn't this the kind of leadership that you want? Don't you want to be made more like Jesus? Don't you want your desires to change? Don't, don't you want to be more and more what God wants you to be? This is not the easiest way, but friends, it's the best way. It's the way that God's committed to. So we can be content under the care of God the shepherd because he provides perfect leadership. One more reason. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes the paths of righteousness that our shepherd leads us on are through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you may be there this morning. And there's a big theological debate on, on what David means by the valley of the shadow of death. Does he just mean death itself, or does he mean this danger or struggle or trial that we can sometimes go through? But for the sake of the sermon, I don't think it really matters. What matters is that, friend, no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter how debilitating or how frightening or how scary it might be, if you're a Christian, God is with you. God himself is with you. He will comfort you. You don't have to fear. 
something, something cool in this verse is that in verses 1 through 3, David's been speaking in the third person. Right? He leads me. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. But when he starts to consider life's toughest times, when he, when he starts to consider the deepest, darkest moments, he turns from the third person to the second person. He, he stops talking to the reader about God, and he starts talking to God himself. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's not that God was more near to David when times were tough. But David was undoubtedly more aware of God's nearness. You know, this psalm is so often read during tough times in life, especially when people are kind of finishing up their life on earth and moving into the next life. This, this psalm has proved just a huge source of comfort to tons of people, probably tons of people that you know. And I remember um, when my granddad was dying, we would just stand around his bed and we read this over and over and over again. So this week I was thinking about that. I was thinking, man, why does this song, this psalm provide so much comfort? And it, it hit me that it's, it's not that the, the psalm itself provides comfort, it's that it's what the psalm promises. The, the psalm promises the very real presence of God to provide comfort and security and help when we need it most. It's a psalm that promises comfort. No matter what we're going through, we can sing a song of contentment, you guys, because under God's care, he provides comfort. He provides comfort. I know this morning there's some people in our church who are hurting deeply. Some of my closest friends feel like they're in the valley of the shadow of death this morning. Maybe you, your health has fallen apart, or maybe your family is kind of excuse me, crumbling underneath you, or maybe, maybe you're just in so much grief and pain that you don't even know what to do with it. But friend... In the valley, God is with you. He will protect you. He will comfort you. If he has to, he will carry you. And no matter what you're going through this morning, you can come to him and find very real comfort. So under God's care, there is contentment because he provides rest. He provides leadership. And in the toughest times, he provides comfort. Now, at this point in the psalm, the metaphor shifts. Okay, David quits thinking of God as shepherd and begins to think of him as king. But before we move on, I want us to engage a little bit more with the shepherd imagery. Because here's the truth for us. There is only one reason why we can come under the care of God the shepherd. There is only one reason, you guys, why we can find contentment in the Lord. And in order to see that, we need to kind of zoom out. We need to look at all of the biblical context and see how this psalm is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So let's start by fast-forwarding 300 years to Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah says about all mankind. It says, All we, like sheep, have turned astray, or we've turned everyone to his own way. So all of us, we've, we've turned to our own way. The idea is that, we have rejected 
the good shepherd like full of sheep. And we have decided it is better to govern the affairs of our own life. None are exempt. And if you're anything like me, when you were straying as a sheep, here's where I wound up over and over and over again. Completely discontent and completely dissatisfied. Always looking for the next thing that never really, never really provided. But what's, what's worse than being dissatisfied because we've left the shepherd is the danger that we're in because we've left the shepherd. We have been separated from him, from the only one who knows what's good, to, good for us. And so it's just a matter of time till destruction comes apart from his care. Well, we fast forward 700 years to Jesus of Nazareth, who came into the world, who left heaven, my friends, to rescue lost, straying sheep. And in John chapter 10, he identifies himself as the God of the Old Testament when he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Friend, the only way we can come under the care of God the shepherd is because this sinless shepherd, Jesus of Nazareth, became the lamb who was slain. He took all of the punishment that we deserve so that we could be welcomed back into his flock. It is only because of this sacrifice that we can be a part of God's people. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in him, you think somehow that you could stand before God based on your own goodness or your own merit or whatever it is that you have confidence in, the God of the Bible is much holier than that. And the only way to find lasting satisfaction is in him. Everything else just fleeting pleasure. So if that's you, look on the good shepherd who gave up his life for you and be welcomed into the fold, the only place where lasting satisfaction is. Now, as I mentioned, as we go into verse 5, this metaphor shifts. And so we kind of go from outside to inside. We move from David the shepherd talking about God as shepherd to David the king talking about God the king. And he, he pictures this as an honored host at a banquet put on by God himself. Look with me at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So even though David's metaphor changes, the central point of his psalm doesn't. Still all about his satisfaction in God. And he's saying that his satisfaction, his contentment, is still based on this reality that he rightly understands his relationship with God. So at first he was satisfied because he's under the care of God the shepherd. Now he's satisfied because he's seated at the table of God the king. And metaphorically for the believer, we are also welcomed at that very same table. The next reason for our contentment, we are welcomed at the table of God the King. Now, let's explore this imagery a little bit. Um, David paints this picture of being welcomed into a banquet by God himself as an honored guest where his enemies are present. Now, you might be thinking, why would you want to go to a party where your enemies are? That didn't sound appealing to me. Let me give you a little cultural context. Ancient Near Eastern times, when, when somebody would... I guess captors were, would capture captives. Um, when an enemy was defeated, before they were dealt with, what, what would often happen is they would bring them into the victory celebration bound in order just to humiliate them. And that's what David is saying here. David is saying that 
and God prepares this feast for me, and right smack dab in the middle are my enemies, which are completely defeated and humiliated. So he's saying that God provides victory. But, but on the flip side of the coin, he's saying that God provides acceptance. The picture of, is of him coming in to God's banquet as an honored guest, where oil is poured on his head as a sign of hospitality, and his cup overflows abundant provisions just for him. David is saying that, that at the table of God the king, there is guaranteed victory and there is guaranteed acceptance. Same is true for us. God provides for us victory and acceptance, another reason we can be content. Now, there's a reason why these two are grouped together, not individually, because the words sort of look funny together and you're thinking, why do victory and acceptance go together? Well, in a sense, they're two sides of the same coin. Let me explain. At the cross of Jesus Christ, God in one act accomplishes both victory and acceptance. As Jesus is crucified and then later resurrected, God secures and guarantees our victory and he makes a way to welcome us to his table. Now you might be thinking, well, enemies. I, yeah, no, I, I don't think I have any enemies. I mean, I, my in-laws are a little weird, but other than them, you know, things are cool. If you're sitting with your in-laws today, sorry about that. Um, when I say enemies, I'm talking about real enemies. I'm talking about enemies that threaten to destroy our soul. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about Satan. Enemies that we act like they don't really exist. Enemies that we actually kind of like to be friends with sometimes that promise satisfaction and contentment but never deliver. Enemies that want to see our utter ruin. These enemies God has dealt with on our behalf in one act at the cross of Christ. Let me explain. When Jesus hung on a cross, a supernatural transfer happened. All, all the sin that belonged to me and you was placed onto Jesus. And God punished him for our sin. In that act of crucifixion, God poured out his wrath against my sin and your sin. As Jesus bore it in his own body, he secured victory for us from sin. But in the very same supernatural transfer, here's what happens. As I put my faith in him, all of his goodness, all of his beauty, all of his righteousness is transferred over to me. And so from this one act, I find both victory from my greatest enemies and I find acceptance to the God I love, to the God I need, to the one where all contentment is found. Only at the cross of Christ can we find victory and acceptance. And the first part of verse 5 points us there. Friend, this morning, are you carrying around guilt? Are you, are you just hanging your head underneath shame? Do you feel like you, you shouldn't even be in here this morning because of the week that you've had? Let me remind you. It is finished. God welcomes you at his table not based on your performance, not based on your good record, not based on your sinlessness. 
He welcomes you at his table based on the performance of his own son. If you are in his son, then there is lavish, abundant grace for you at God's table. Let's not be people, and and I'm here, I'm here. Let's not be people who forget this, who move on from the cross, who don't really take time to think about it and understand it who are not affected deeply by it. Let's pray every day that we would understand the victory and the acceptance that God has provided for us at Calvary. Because the more that we get what we deserve, guys, the more we understand that we deserve God's just wrath, we deserve it. But instead, he has given us abundant life. The more we understand that, the more content we're going to be. Charles Spurgeon says, the man who deserves nothing will be content with anything. We've been, we deserve nothing and we've been given much. So let's quit singing along with the Rolling Stones and start singing with David. Okay, as good as victory and acceptance is, it gets better. We're rocking, here we go. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, David says. Without a doubt, unquestionably, certainly, God's goodness, God's mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Now, the the English translation here is not strong enough. This word follow is actually pursue. It's the same word that is used in the Old Testament when Israel is chasing after their enemies to destroy them. So the idea is relentless pursuit. And what David's saying is God's goodness and his mercy, his hesed, his steadfast love will relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life. Here's the idea, Christian. Allow this to bring a smile to your face this morning. This is great. If you are in Christ, God's love is after you. You are the target of God's goodness. You are the object of his affection. He has fixed his infinite, steadfast mind to do good to you. That is true for you. This is the the next reason we can be content, because he pursues us with his love. He pursues us with his love. And and again, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you might stumble this coming up week. If you are a part of the flock of God, if you have been made new by faith in Christ, God has given you his spirit. If that has happened to you, God will only, ever, always love you, and do good to you, nothing else. He will order every single thing in your life, every trial, every struggle for your good, that you might be made more like him, that you might be able to know him more. Everything. Only good. J.I. Packer says it this way. The biblical way of putting this would be to say that God is good to all in some ways, and he's good to some in all ways. See, to all people, whether they're believers or not, God is going to do some good. He's going to love them some. But to the people of God, he will only ever do good to us. To all God will ever do. He will work every single thing for our good. Paul, Paul makes this point in Romans 8, and then he sort of climaxes this idea at the end of chapter 8, and he says this, 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Christ, the love of God is after you. You can sing with David. And friends, if the Rolling Stones had known this kind of love, they couldn't have written the same lyrics. This is where satisfaction happens. Last observation. David closes it out. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's saying, my stay with the king is not temporary. My stay with him is eternal. I get God forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, when it comes down to it, David wasn't singing a song of satisfaction because of God's benefits for him. He was singing a song of satisfaction because he got God himself. Same is true for us, you guys. The last and the main reason for our contentment is because God gives us himself. He gives us himself. Notice quickly how this song is bookended. David begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He ends by saying, I'm going to be with him forever. And so from start to finish, he's saying, all contentment is found in God. Where have you been searching for satisfaction? Success? That's at work or at home or in school or in sports or maybe a better marriage or more well-behaved kids? Maybe a boyfriend, maybe a girlfriend, maybe a hookup. Maybe some escape. Pornography or drugs or social media, whatever. Or maybe even something like your own good moral performance, your own godly character. Maybe something as simple as food or sports. Where have you been searching for contentment? I'm guilty of many of those. And some of those things are good things. I'm not saying those are bad things. But I am saying that if we look to those things for satisfaction, at best they will give us fleeting pleasure. And without a doubt, they will rob us of real satisfaction over time. Because they're just cheap substitutes. Substitutes that all point to the real thing. Let me tell you what I mean. If you're looking for contentment and comfort, 2 Corinthians 1, God is the God of all comfort. If you're looking for contentment and peace within, Romans 16 tells us that God is the God of peace. If you're looking for contentment and security, Psalm 91 tells us that God is our refuge. If you're looking for contentment in money, 2 Corinthians 8 tells us that he who was rich became poor on our behalf so that through him we might become truly rich. If you're looking for satisfaction and health, Psalm 73 tells us that our flesh and our heart will fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you're looking for satisfaction and pleasure, Psalm 16 tells us that in him there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, where Jesus is, there is pleasure forevermore. God is the source and origin of all contentment. We live in a culture that promises satisfaction at every turn, 
but cannot deliver. We can agree with the Rolling Stones when they make that claim. But just because the world can't deliver satisfaction, my friends, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means we have to look to our relationship with God. Contentment is found under the care of God the shepherd and at the table of God the king. I don't know what song you were singing when you came in this morning, but I hope we can leave singing along with David. I hope his song gets stuck in our heads. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your patience with us. And, and we come humbly right now, and we admit that we have searched for contentment in all kinds of places besides you, Lord. I am chief among us. And I thank you that because of the cross of Christ, you joyfully welcome us back. And so we come back, and we look to you again to find our hope, to find our satisfaction, to find the contentment that we were created for. Um, I pray this week that we wouldn't move on from you. I pray that we would rest under your care and we would rejoice at your table for the sake of your name. Amen. You guys stand and worship with us.